if someone's telling you a definitive, they're full of it. Yes. Too many variables. They don't really know. No. Even, even They may sound very convincing to you. Mm-hmm. They can have their opinion and they may have a very educated opinion, but definitively, they don't know. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast. Welcome. So glad to be here again. And uh, yeah, it's just exciting. What what is the episode is this going to be? Number seven? I don't know. I was thinking that. I was like, you should say the episode <laughs> number, like but I have no idea. So yeah, something like, like episode seven. So I just kind of so, like glossed over that part. Basically, it's in its infancy. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I still am like super excited that we actually finally did this five right. years later. Right. Well, you know, sometimes these good things take some time, Heather. Right. I think you just right. have to be all in. Yes. It was actually making the decision just to do it. And once we just made it, that decision, then we're all in. Right. Not to mention, you've been on quite a few podcasts so far, just, you know, helping promote this podcast and just talking right. about land. Right. Do you know how many you've been on? Uh, I think I've appeared on 35. And which, like... In some ways, that's a lot. And then other ways, that's not that many, except for the fact that it's only been how many weeks since you've been going on? I'm like, yeah, a month I think or a couple something? months, month yeah. and a half, maybe. And then I've got another at least 35 booked. Isn't that so crazy? So I'm going to be kind of doing that for the foreseeable future. I, I'm having fun with it. So every day I try to, try to book another podcast to go on. So it's great. You know, I've been meeting a lot of amazing people. And uh, just talking about land, which is land flipping, which is kind of my favorite thing to talk about, mm-hmm. I think aside from myself. Oh, I thought you were going to Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. I love talking wow. about you. That was awkward. Um, <laughs> no, but I think it's funny because um, the thing with real estate, most of these podcasts are, are focused about real estate, but real estate is so many different things. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's like there's infinite things to talk about because there's just infinite ways to make money. Even, you know, places where people live, there's so many different ways that you like live in real estate. So it's not yeah. just like a house or, or whatever. Real estate's connected to everything. Mm-hmm. And I think know? it's cool that the more that you're on, you're getting to meet different people who are bringing their own expertise or their even just their spin on real estate. And right. it kind of like opens our eyes to that, um, which is a good segue because what we have realized is that even though we've been in real estate for a long time, we're still learning. Like I don't proclaim to be like an expert in all of real estate, right? Do you? Well, yes, I am. No, I'm just joking. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I mean, if I'm being, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, honest Heather, yeah. yes. Uh, no, I, I've got a lot to learn. Right. And that's the cool. I think that's when you know you actually are like doing well in something when you're still like, I have a lot to learn. Right. Because you want to keep learning. You're like, okay, I've mastered this and now I want to learn even more. Right. You know, and I want to, I want to do all that kind of stuff. But so the segue to what we're talking about today is that a lot of people who are experts in real estate are calling for a crash. Right. And the media is calling for a crash. The market's going to crash, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. The sky is going to fall down and I guess we're all just going to like shrivel up and die. Right. Okay. So today's episode is all about is like, is, is yeah. there going to be some sort of. Is the market going to crash, crash in 2023? Thank you. Right. right. So without answering that, I want to start because I want to get to that. Right. Okay. But you know me, I have to ask you about 5,000 questions before we can get to okay. that question. Meeting questions. All right. Why do you think that you are qualified to say if the market's going to crash? Mm, I don't. Well, I think you do, actually. Okay. <laughs> I, that's funny. Like, okay. I can see from the outside. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that's exactly I'm qualified it. to give my opinion. Right. But my opinion may or may not 
come to fruition. Right. But why do you think you're qualified to offer an opinion mm. on if the market's going to crash or not? Right. Well, I've been in real estate for quite some time. I mean, I've been real estate investing since 2000, and, 2000 basically. 2000, yeah. Right. So at this point, what is that, 23 years? Mm -hmm. Some quick math. Um, been a real estate broker since 2006. But prior to that, we were investors and we were flipping homes. Mm -hmm. So we've been quite involved in real estate for quite some time. We were deep in the mix of it in the last crash, which 2007-ish. And that was an actual crash. That was the market falling off a cliff, you basically. Were actually, when you said that, I actually saw like crash and burn and then something going off a cliff. Yeah. Like literally yeah, I was visualizing We need it. to edit in some sort of crazy graph because that's really what okay, happened. Don't do anything too violent though, please. Whoever edits this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a crazy time. I mean, the, that was an actual crash. Mm -hmm. Now, will we have an, another crash coming in this coming year? Well, we'll get into that. But mm -hmm. so- We've seen that. We've seen that crash, that crazy time, which was kind of unprecedented, really. After that, been dealing with investors. We dealt with investors for many years, actually dealt with the banks as far as um, listing those properties for them at, during the last market crash. So I was deeply involved in that the last time. Saw the market recovery firsthand. Uh, all these uh, different investors kind of doing well from everything they bought during that time period, basically. Um, and then, um, you know, we're obviously constantly tracking what the market's doing. And we've got a lot of investments and things that we're, we're always doing. So we've got kind of our pulse on, on where things are at right now. So... That's kind of why I think I've at least put in my time to give an opinion. Right. And I think that that kind of, when we get to answer that question, I think you and I are on the exact same page that we know we have a definitive answer mm -hmm. to that question. Right. So, um, but I, and then I will get there, but I want to start back in um, 2000, gosh, right before the market crashed. Mm. Okay. So what okay. was, what did the market feel like then? Back then. I have to preface this by saying things were much different than they are right now. Basically, things were a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. When you say an overheated market, that was an overheated market. And it was overheated because lending was so easy. It was like 80-20 loans. Right. So you could put almost nothing down. Well, yeah. And an 80-20 loan was, in a typical home purchase, you have to put a down payment down. So that could be 20%. Some loans will even go down to 10% these days. But generally, you know, over like 3% ones too, right? Yeah. And 3% yeah. okay. is an FHA loan. And that's how actually how we three and a half percent. That's how we bought our first home. Mm -hmm. And FHA is a government sponsored program. And there's VA loans, which are 0% down. But, but that's those are special government military. programs. Yeah. So typical mortgage you get, you know, you have to put 20% down and then you get a loan for the rest of it. But during that time period, they came out with all kinds of innovative, innovative, innovative. Innovative. innovative loan yeah. products where you can essentially skip the whole down payment part. And the other part about it was, so you could do an 80% first mortgage and a 20% second mortgage all happens at the same time. You don't bring any money to close. The other thing that they layered on top of these things, they came up with the, another innovative product called the stated mortgage, stated income and no doc loans, which are still so around to some they, extent, they are still around. But they had products that were completely stated, no documentation, no nothing. So it was just based off of a credit score, basically. Right. So you told them you made a million dollars a month. That's what you put in your loan application. People would, you know, the, these these uh, loan bro brokers would go with it. Mm -hmm. So 
the market got really, really overheated because the money was there. The money was super easy. People were buying these properties with funny money, basically. Mm-hmm. So things and adjustable got, rate loans too. and adjustable rate loans. So, so maybe that, you know if they yeah. had like if we use that as an example, somebody who is like a receptionist, let's say, mm-hmm. at, like an entry level receptionist who is not making nearly a million dollars a year, right? Mm-hmm. Can bought this house for I don't know, five, let's say five hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and their paycheck didn't barely covered an adjustable rate, like that intro rate, mm-hmm. which was super low. Right. And then it would adjust in a year or two years or three, whatever the, the schedule was. She said, I made a million dollars a year. I can afford this house and I can make this payment. Well, then when real estate, you know, when the rate adjusts, she mm-hmm. can no longer, or he can no longer afford this thing. Right. Right. So there was so like, I think we could go into the nuances of all, don't mind me. I don't know where that, it was like almost like five words at once. Okay. We could go into that, like all these different angles. Right. But- yeah, so that was, I mean, I guess the point of, of talking about that really was just to kind of lay out like what was going on at that mm-hmm. time. It's way different than right now, first of all. Right now, you actually have to be qualified in order to get a mortgage. Like they verify your documentation. They they make sure that they verify your income in some way. For the way. most part. I'm yeah, sure I there's mean, still some, there, there, you know. There are always some things going on, and but... Even if you're self-employed, they're they're looking at your bank statements. They're seeing actual money coming in before they actually give you a loan. Mm-hmm. So, and they're probably documenting where your down payment's coming from. And they're doc. Yes, they they source where that comes right. comes from. Not just like oh, I I've you know yeah whatever reason someone <laughs> gave that they suddenly had this money that probably came from another property or something that yeah. was not sustainable. Yeah. So all those factors really combined to create a a uh, little bit of a frenzy, buying frenzy. Prices really skyrocketed up quickly. Because everyone had access to this money. Right. So they wanted to buy up this, you know, this house right. and kept leveling up and Right. And okay. then you and then you'd have investors that were buying, you know, closing. I've heard stories of investors concurrently closing on five, ten properties at a time. Like they they just submitted like ten loan applications and bought five different properties that all closed at one time. So all of these banks really weren't aware that they were buying these other properties. So Right. They would see like an initial (laughs) inquiry and think, oh, that's for the loan you're getting with me. Right. And when you say an investor, you mean like a mom and pop investor, not like a big investment company. Oh, yeah, yeah. These were were just, you know, people buying rental properties. Mom and pop? Is that how it's a mom and pop (laughs) investor? Buying rental properties or maybe, you know, hoping for additional appreciation or maybe buying properties that they're going to try to flip or something like that. They weren't looking so. to add value to these properties necessarily. They were more looking to flip them. Right. I yeah. mean, I guess in a sense that is adding value, but right. they were banking on the appreciation. The appreciation was a big thing right. back then. It was like anything you bought, it was going to go up. Next year is going to be worth more. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we've been facing lately. But it's not it's it's not the same in the way the, the whole financial uh, side of things. So we had all those factors combined and then a lot of people that really weren't vested in these properties, they had put no money down. They it was too easy to get, and they really couldn't afford them in the first place. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, there was there's a lot of reasons why why that was all happening. But the bottom line is, most of these people couldn't afford the properties that they were buying, unless and so and this was a common trend back then too. So they really couldn't afford those properties. They couldn't afford their payments and the lifestyle. But the properties kept going up in value. So then what they would do is they would refi the next year, get out some cash from the property that was appreciated in value, which then they would use to pay off their credit cards or even make their mortgage payment for a while. Mm -hmm. So it was an unsustainable thing. Unless the home value skyrocketed up that that way for, you know, forever, it it is not a sustainable type type thing. Okay. So. So now we go through 
right before the crash. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hear in the news it's that that there's going to be a bubble. I think that's what the term mm-hmm. was back then. Yeah. It was always mm-hmm. like, is there a real estate bubble? Mm-hmm. Now people are saying crash. Mm-hmm. But back then we were talking about bubble. And I, I've heard people saying bubble a little bit now, but that was the big thing is the yeah, bubble going to burst. Because we had just gone, well, not just, but previous to that, we had gone through the dot-com bubble. So that yes, was, that's that was where that came uh-huh. from. That's yeah. true. I forgot about the dot. I should actually, thank goodness you, uh, you were a stockbroker and you got yes. out before that. All, I mean, it's just... We've been lucky with timing in a lot of ways uh-huh. and sometimes not as lucky, yeah. but you know, um, I think we, we've learned a lot, right. but okay. So we hear this kind of rumble. You and I are both kind of thinking like that. It doesn't, I don't know how that would happen. Mm-hmm. How would a crash happen? Because it felt healthy. Right. Everything felt fine. Right. Hey, things were going up. Everyone mm-hmm. was happy. Everyone was euphoric really that yeah. was involved with real estate because mm-hmm. everyone was real estate agents were making commissions. The loan brokers were doing well, escrow title companies, Home Depot, all those places. They were all like doing very, very well. And restaurants were busy. Restaurants. You know, we would drive by new restaurants opening and it was like lines out the door. And I remember um, a lot of people were having parties. There was just a lot of parties. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was like the 20s. The t- roaring 20s? Maybe. I don't know. Okay. I, well, I don't remember that. Yeah. <laughs> were you a flapper yes. in, in uh, uh-huh. previous life or something? Yes, exactly. Or okay. at Halloween, like 1997 or something, but yeah, Um, actually not. Yeah. Maybe 1997. That sounds good. It just felt like I just didn't see that happening. No, you heard, I heard it and it was kind of like, like I couldn't see how that would actually happen. Well, there was a lot of smart people that didn't foresee it happening where they wouldn't have invested money the way they did. And Mm -hmm. so looking back on it, it's like, okay, this is obvious. That's, that's going to happen. It was Uh unsustainable. But when you're in the mix of it, um, sometimes things aren't as clear as they as right. they are in hindsight. And that was our first like real estate cycle. Right. When we bought our first house in, in 2000, I just want to say 2020, but we did not, mm-hmm. that was not 2000. Um, it was kind of a stagnant market. I uh-huh. remember our interest, do you know what our interest rate was then? Six point something. Yeah. It was like six or seven, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was normal. Like it didn't, it, it, when I, when we were buying the house, I wasn't like, Maybe seven and a quarter. That kind of rings a bell. Yeah, that sounds right. I didn't say like, oh my gosh, Pete, this is such an, a horrible interest rate. Like mm-hmm. I, it just seemed this is what the interest rate is. Yeah, were. we didn't know. Okay. Um, so then one day, it, and it really felt like this to me. We'll see if it felt like that for you. One day, the bubble burst. Mm-hmm. Like right. it felt like yesterday was fine. And then the next day it was like, holy cow. Hey, everyone, just a quick reminder that you can join our community for free at landconquest.com. Inside, you'll get all the resources, training, and support for building a thriving land flipping business. Once again, that's landconquest.com. All right, enjoy the rest of the show. I think it was one of the big banks collapsed. You know, like there was a lot of- Lehman Brothers or something? Yeah, like a lot of people started missing payments. Like that was kind of happening behind the scenes. And then they weren't able to, you know, they had all these mortgages, these, you know, subprime mortgages on their books. And that they lost a lot of value in those overnight because people weren't paying their mortgages. I think one thing led to another and they actually collapsed. So like that they collapsed. And I think that was kind of the big chain. Yeah, the big chain reaction. And then a number of things happened. Like then Bear Stearns, I'm not sure the timing of this, Bear Stearns, which is another big type investment bank that was heavily involved in those securities, they collapsed. And a number of these other big banks like Mm -hmm. Washington Mutual and you know, countrywide home loans got bought out and a lot of these, just a lot of stuff started happening. And then basically what happened was people stopped making their payments. 
foreclosures started happening and these banks were like, okay, we got to get rid of these assets as they normally do. Mm-hmm. They don't want to hold these assets. So they put them on the market for what they could sell them for right now. People aren't buying because the market, you know, the market is just not functioning the way it should be. So they kind of have to liquidate them at these really cheap prices. So $550,000 house in some of these areas was instantly 250000 mm-hmm. like in a matter of 30 days. Right. I mean, it was like really, really abrupt. It really fell off a cliff. Well, you know, the whole thing with the FDIC is that you have... They have the, these banks have to have like a little bit of liquidity. Like there's a certain amount. I know during COVID it was changed. Like they let them be a little more flexible. So they get into a position where their assets are no, like they used to have that, they were holding that cash, right? right? But then if your asset levels drop completely like that, then you're screwed, yeah. right? And they have to report to the FDIC. And then the FDIC says, hey, we're going to take you over if you don't liquidate. Right. You know, and I know that Washington Mutual was bought by Chase, or at least mm. maybe not bought, but was absorbed. I, I don't even remember how right. that worked. I know local to our market, um, a bank I actually used to work at a long time ago, it completely was shut down and taken over by the FDIC. Hmm. So they came in there and they shut it all down. And then a couple days later, they had another bank that they had worked out a deal with that say, hey, can you come on and take it? Everyone that worked at that bank had to reapply for their job and not everyone got a job. Right. So, and these people had worked at this bank for years and years and years, and now they're reapplying for a job. So it's not, I think the point on that is that it's not just the housing market. Right. Like somebody who works at a bank, which most people would say was a pretty stable job, not the most glamorous or exciting having been a bank worker, but it was stable. Like you went into banking because it was stable. And then here you are, you're reapplying for your own job you know? Yeah. Um, and it trickled down effect. And so remember we were talking about driving by the gro- or the grocery stores, the restaurants. Mm-hmm. And then we would drive by the restaurants, you know, that later that month. And it was like a ghost town. Ghost town. It yeah. was bizarre. It trickles. I mean, when you think about it, when you really mm-hmm. think about real estate and, and what it trickles down to, I mean, you've got obviously the, the people that are close to the, a real estate transaction. You've got the real estate agents, you've got the title reps, you've got the escrow companies, You've got the home inspectors, roofing inspector, you know, like all these different people. You've got contractors that are doing repairs on properties. Then you've got the, it goes out further. You know, if no real estate transactions that are happening or, or if these real estate transactions aren't happening, then what happens is Home Depot gets less busy. The people at Home Depot aren't going to get as many shifts. You know, the manufacturers that sell stuff to Home Depot, they're not going to get as many orders. The people that work at the factory that are selling stuff to Home Depot, they're going to be cutting shifts. Mm -hmm. Those people then are not going to be able to pay for, you know, someone to watch their kids. They're not going to be able to send them to a private school that, you know, like all these things, it trickles down to everywhere in the economy. Mm -hmm. And um, so when that happened, when that, that crash happened that Mm -hmm. time, it was really, really dramatic and it was not a good time. You know, it was definitely not a good time in the world, in the in the country. But as we learned in all of our travels, when the United States faces economic problems, it's really the whole world's problem. And and that's actually something that we haven't talked about before. Mm-hmm. There was okay. We always would get two questions whenever we were traveling, right? Mm-hmm. It was pre two thousand sixteen and post two thousand sixteen, right? Um, so it was normally one question before that, mm-hmm. and it was oh, people wanted to talk about housing market. Right. And they talked about the great recession mm-hmm. and it, we would be in like some random country and I mean, not random, but random to me in Europe. And someone would bring that up. Mm-hmm. And then post 2016, people want to talk about Donald Trump as president and also the housing market. Right. Those were the two questions we were always right. asked. Right. And then we got to the point where we were kind of like, okay, let's just be ambivalent. Like, let's not, you know what I mean? Get into these deep conversations with random people. Uh-huh. Like they're driving us in cars. And I remember one time 
we were uh, in Budapest and um, I got in. Were you with me or was it just me and Maddie? I got into I don't the, know taxi. the story. So yeah, I know. <laughs> or, you know, so we get into the car and um, and I'm like, don't be American. Don't be American. Don't be American. So I get in and I sit down and I said, hello, you know, very calm and everything. And, and the guy looks at me and he goes, hi. And I go, oh, hi. And he goes, oh, American. And I was like, oh, come on, man. You know what I You're mean? You're not going to hide it, Heather. But I was just trying to be like, don't be. And um, and so I was like, okay, so what gave it away? And he's like, well, you were either Canadian or American. But it was the like excited hi after uh-huh. I said hi to you. He's like, I knew it was American. And then he said he lived in um, Miami. He was like a semi-professional sport. Like I get the oh, whole life story. Oh, soccer player. Yes, soccer I remember, player. remember Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then the next thing I was like, okay, okay, what's going to happen here? And he was like, so what do you think about the president? And I was like, no, please, please, please. And then the next one was like, so how's your community doing after the recession? And what uh-huh. year would that have been? Like 2019. Yeah. And the, the, the bottom line was they had still not recovered. That's what he was telling. The ripple yeah. down effects. Like they still weren't back to where they were beforehand. Yeah. He said that in 2019, they were just starting to do like street repairs. Remember actually in 2018, we saw the repairs starting mm-hmm. and he was literally talking about, he's like, I'd love to get back to the U.S you guys have recovered mm-hmm. way more than we have here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, we finally feel it. And Ireland, remember, that was a big, yeah. cons- um, the same kind of thing. She's like, we're, f- would that have been 2018 or 19 around the same time? Mm-hmm. And then also Germany, remember we were getting on the Autobahn for the first time and it was the same discussion. She was talking about immigration and we get like such fun conversations with people. I, we don't intentionally do this, by the way. We're not the ones like trying to, you know, but we're Americans, so they're like, they must be friendly. We can talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they were just starting to recover. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more I think about it, I wonder what that looks like post-COVID for, you know. Yeah. I had many ripple effects. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously during COVID, you know, the real estate market kind of reacted a lot differently than most people were assuming. And I had assumed that it was going to really destroy the market. But it kind of had the opposite effect. It really just, uh, it kind of uh, really took off like a rocket ship, really. Well, yeah, and I think there's a lot of things to do with that. Like people who are living in like high density places were looking for either, you know, they wanted more space, obviously, because to stay away from a virus. Mm -hmm. So they were looking for that. They were spending more time at home. Home became more important. Right. You couldn't travel. Remote work became a thing. Right. So so, you could work, you could live anywhere and work anywhere. Yeah. And where are you going to get your joy when you're not going out shopping, you're not traveling, you're not going out to restaurants? Conceivably, these people were, you know, and it's just kind of was like catapulted. And I think the remote work too, especially in the, in the more luxury markets, if you like, let's say San Francisco, that's, extremely expensive. You could move to a still expensive, but not as expensive, but maybe with better weather or closer to family again. And so their idea of expensive versus what other people would say is expensive is not the same. Like they'd be like, this is affordable. Right. You know, I don't, it it feels, it doesn't feel like it did before. I mean, there's the euphoria, there's all that kind of stuff, except for that. It's not that insaneness. Right. Well, and and we could talk about a couple different aspects of this. We could talk about kind of the market as a whole, and then we can talk about our take on the land business because Mm -hmm. land is what our kind of main investment you know, niche now. is right now. So, okay. So let's get to it. The market, it completely cuts out. It drops. Mm-hmm. Um, you become, and, and we, I can do my like kind of rapid fire here. You, the market crashes. We don't flip homes anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, R- I, Oh yes. Okay. You, you were talking about Coming like back. when it actually crashed. Uh-huh. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you, yeah, we're like, Oh, this is uh, home flipping is not an area we want to be in right now because the end buyers weren't there. You know, like there was no loans for them mm-hmm. and funny side tangent on not funny, but you know, like, I had situations as a 
listing broker on properties at that point where, you know, someone we had gotten a buyer and under contract for a property. And it was just such a crazy time because they were approved for their loan. They had gone through all the steps and they were like, okay, it's going to fund tomorrow. And it didn't fund tomorrow. Oh yeah. And it didn't fund the next day. Mm -hmm. And this drew drew on for like weeks. Mm -hmm. And what happened was the bank that was doing the loan or the mortgage and everything, like they couldn't get get the money to actually fund the deal. Like something that's kind of not even fathomable now, like just wouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. Like, that was like that was what happened. Things were like locked up, so there was no buyer funds to, to buy anything. So we were like, okay, flipping is not where we want to be mm-hmm. right now. And so. even selling like that wasn't where we wanted to be. Right. You know so. that was just too volatile too. Mm-hmm. So you look at the problem. You saw a problem. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, what? So owns your real estate, but this is this line of real estate's not working. There's a problem with it. So what did you do next? Well, this is. Thanks to you, Heather. Oh, you had encouraged me. Awkward. You encouraged me to pursue um, bank-owned properties and mm-hmm. become an REO listing broker. Thankfully, I'd gotten my real estate broker license in 2006. Mm-hmm. And I got it because we were getting all of our deals off of the MLS on the market. And it gave us more access to those properties. Like we could show them to ourselves. Mm-hmm. We could write an offer and keep that commission on the buy side as well. So it kind of made the numbers work a little bit better. So that's why we did it. You mm-hmm. know, that's why we we both got our license. I got my broker's license. You got your real estate agent license. And I was top agent one month. That's right. I sold that's... one house my whole career. Okay. Well, <laughs> that was a good month for you. Yeah, very good, right? Um, so got my license. So it kind of set, thankfully, it kind of set us up for that, like to get into the REO listing side of things. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, you were kind of ahead of the curve and you're like, hey, you need to do this now because this is happening. And we kind of foresaw that those were the homes that were going to be selling. The bank was going to have all the inventory. They were going to be the sellers on all these properties. So we knew that's where the market was going. And we just kind of dove all in on that. And basically, I was listing properties for all these banks. You know, these properties would go through a foreclosure process. And then I would list them on the market and sell them for them. Right. And maybe we'll touch on that later. We can do like an in-depth on on all that. Because I think that's interesting to people. Or do you want me to ask you a few more no, questions? No, I don't. That? You know, whatever. Huh? Uh, Pete doesn't like talking about this time in his life. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, this time in his life. It like, sounds horrible. But it, it was kind of, not kind of, it was a sad time. It was good because, yes, we um, we were able to make money. And we were able to survive the market and, right. and we learned a lot, but it wasn't like, it wasn't happy times. I mean, people no. were losing their houses. They didn't expect it. It was like, you know, they went from being euphoric, everything's beautiful, everything's wonderful to this really sucks. We have no money and now we're losing our house. Right. And we also forgot to talk about it. It wasn't just people buying houses. Mm-hmm. So people had owned houses for years and years and years and they uh, refinanced them and took mm-hmm. the cash out. Right. And a lot of them took adjustable rate loans. So when this all happened, the interest rates went up or it wasn't even the interest rates went up necessarily. It was just that as part of the contract that they signed, year one, it goes up. Year two, it goes up. They got in only thinking that they would just keep refinancing. A teaser rate. You know, right, it's kind yeah. of like those credit card offers. It's like 0% for six mm-hmm. months. They weren't doing 0%, but they were doing like 1% or 2% intro yeah. rates, you know? It was never a sustainable rate. Right. And you think, well, I just refinanced it. So I might have bought this house originally for $50,000 30 years ago. I'm not making money anymore. I'm in my 70s, 80s, whatever it was. You know what I mean? And then it adjusts. And, and where's this money going to come from? They're thinking, oh, they'll just refinance. Well, you can't refinance. There's no money. Right. And actually, your property value has dropped below what you refinanced. Right. So now you have negative equity. And you think it's high time, so you spent all this money. So they didn't have the money because they had already been living off this money. So you have to... When you get it, we would get an email and it would say, sometimes it even said congratulations, which looking back is mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's really yeah, sick. Most of them would be but, like, new property assignment. Uh-huh, yes, exactly. So uh-huh. I would get this email that said, new property assignment, 123 Main Street. And your first duty as a REO listing broker mm-hmm. is to go out to the property, get an idea of what condition the property's in. But the main thing is you have to determine if it's occupied or mm-hmm. not. So that would be what I'd do. I'd go out, look it up, uh, a little bit of information online first, and then I would drive out to the property Try to determine if people are living at the property still. You know, sometimes you could tell if there's cars in the driveway or, you know, miscellaneous stuff there. So you could tell if someone's living there. Sometimes you couldn't. But regardless, you go and knock on the door. And then you are essentially the representative of the bank at that point, even though that's not really what I signed up for. I just signed up for selling homes. But Right. And you're not actually. <laughs> you're literally just like an independent real estate broker. Right. Exactly. Right? But the problem is that when, when – and anyone that's got a, a mortgage is – Things in their head. It's like your mortgage is with so and so. Let's pick a bank, like right. Countrywide, which doesn't exist anymore. Right? Mm-hmm, that was right. one of them. So let's just say Countrywide is your bank, and Countrywide's just this like thing in the sky. You don't really think about it. But then Pete Reese shows up, and hi, yeah, I've been assigned yeah, this listing. Exactly. They're like, oh, Pete's Countrywide. This uh-huh. jerk is trying to right steal you know? my home. So you show up at the door, and now Pete Reese is Countrywide. Yeah, I'm countrywide. I'm the, I'm the big bad bank. Mm-hmm. And and basically, it was more sad than anything for me. I really wasn't worried about people being mad at me or anything like that. I just... Because you knew it wasn't personal and you knew it, that it was coming from... Exactly. They were... It was... They didn't know. They were like in it a It was corner. a bad situation. Mm-hmm. A lot of people didn't even know that their home had been foreclosed. They had assumed that they were still in a uh, modification process trying to work out something with their loan. And sometimes the bank was telling them that and then they forgot to postpone the foreclosure sale or something. So there's all kinds of stuff well, happening, but. And there's multiple different departments. So right. one department would do a loan modification. You just mentioned that's mm-hmm. where they actually take your loan and they determine what you can pay right now, right. or if you can pay, and then they give you kind of a new loan with new terms. Right. And then you you keep your house. Sometimes they took money off of it. Like right. they, they'd be like, well, bring it down to what it is. Yeah. Now. We'll adjust it to current market value. Uh huh. You know, all these crazy. Things. Yeah. So they you, didn't want these homes back. So no, you know, they needed to clear it. And I think that the government um, was giving them incentives certain ones were getting right. incentives to do this, um, to modify, they would give them money, all this, or there was money to forgive and, and all these things. I mean, we could go into all that, but oh, yeah, so we could. you have the loan modification and then you also have the REO department mm-hmm. and the REO department, even while this is happening, they're filing all those things with the court mm-hmm. and the courts are backed up because so many people are filing Foreclosures, Foreclosures, right? And they're telling people the loan modification, we're going to tell this department to file a extension. So we're not going to foreclose. Sometimes that just didn't happen. Right. Sometimes they probably lied. Right. You know, sometimes who knows what the reason was. There was no communication between the departments. All kinds of things happening. And you as a consumer didn't know that that had to happen. Right. You're thinking, oh, I'm doing this modification. And they tell you up front, we will pause it. Right. So you're thinking, okay, fine. So then you show up. Mm -hmm. And then it creates a horrible situation. Right. It's a bad situation. Um, Tell me the worst one. Well, I mean, the worst one I can remember, the story mm-hmm. is that, you know, I went to, you know, regular, I couldn't tell actually if it was an occupied home or not. So knocked on the door mm-hmm. and a little kid answers, you right. know, five, six years old, something like that. And I'm like, I was kind of surprised. I guess they expected an adult to answer the door for whatever reason. But uh, so I'm like, hey, can I speak to your parents? You know, and it just, uh, this kid had no idea what was going on. This, I mean, uh, looking inside their house and their stuff was set up like normal as toys were everywhere, you know, furniture everywhere. You're like, there was no, they're living in a house. Yeah. Right. They're just living in their house and there's, and our girls him, were the same age, by the way, around that yeah, time. So and that that's, was, that, you know, that made it our worse. older children. Right. So it was, it was just kind of, 
you know, and then I start thinking like from his perspective, mm-hmm. like his world is going to upend. He has no clue, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the mom comes to the door and she doesn't really even speak English very well. I speak Spanish uh, very limited uh, in a very limited <laughs> manner. So it was I did my best to try to explain what was going on. She didn't seem to understand. So I had to come back the next day. I typed up something. I translated something and, mm-hmm. and and handed it to them. So, you know, and eventually they did understand. But. You know, I, I don't remember what the... You got the, uh, the highest amount of cash for keys that we had Right, had. yeah. So cash for keys. So basically, and explain that too. Yeah, yeah, so basically if a home is occupied, the mm. bank, they authorize you to present a cash for keys. So basically I would work out a deal with them and say, hey, you know, you would get $10,000 if you move out, you know, in 60 days or mm-hmm. something like that. So basically they'd hand me the keys. I would hand them a check. And, and the house had to be in good shape. So it made yeah, sense Yeah, they couldn't to, trash the house. Right, yeah. it made sense for the bank's... That was the best option for everybody. It seems weird to pay someone to leave a house that they don't right. own, but the house would be in broom swept condition, meaning mm-hmm. it wasn't like deep clean, but it right. was like not yeah, full just of trash. No junk around, yeah. They didn't. They couldn't trash the house, mm-hmm. and then the bank saved money and time, not having to go through the foreclosure process. Right. And then on the flip side, these people had enough to kind of reestablish themselves. It was normally five, ten, fifteen thousand. Sometimes yeah. it was less. It it just depended. But then they could take that money. They could get a rental. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so I did my best to get as much as I could for them, but just a just a just a bad time. Like there mm-hmm. was a lot of it wasn't just financial. You know, financial problems obviously trickle into many different areas of life. So it could start with a financial problem, and then it starts with a, then it creates relationship problems, and then it you know families split up, and then you've got a kid with you know no dad around or something like that so it's well, all going for like trickle trickle yeah. effect type things happen it's just terrible time and the the deeper part of that too was that that's kind of what had happened he the dad was doing all that kind of stuff and he just left mm-hmm. and so she the mom truly had no idea because she thought oh he's gone but i'm still taking care of the kids and he's still paying the mortgage mm-hmm. like yeah. why would she think not he's always done that for years right so now this is compl- this is one of my random things but i i need to ask you I think humility is a big deal in this, right? Mm-hmm. Like w- people can be wishing and hoping and praying for a market crash because we, you know, we want to get in there and get all the best deals and stuff. Right. Yeah. And, you hear that a lot. Yeah. Right. You know, but for us, every single time we hear it, it's kind of like a gut. Yeah. You don't know what you're wishing for. Right. And because it's not just that, like you said, sure. I mean, I would love to go and buy all the, like evil Heather wants to go buy up all the houses super cheap. Right. Mm-hmm. But we know that that's not, it's not just that. It's not just buying a, a right. discounted asset. Right. It's like. And it affects the whole thing. Right. So, but how do you think that your experience dealing with, directly with people like that has helped you in the land flipping business? This is not something that I told you I was going to ask you, but hmm. I just realized that I, I think that there is a big crossover for you. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that um, it's kind of something that people, since you're working directly with somebody you're negotiating maybe land sometimes is valuable to them like um, emotionally or there's some sort of connection or maybe not do you think that you pull from from that experience i mean not consciously Mm -hmm. but probably subconsciously i do i mean i always i always try to be fair and everyone we deal with i always are you looking to scale your land flipping business quickly? Well, we're happy to present our new cutting edge system built specifically for land flippers. Take a look at the Land Conquest business system today and you'll gain full access to a customizable pre-made website, CRM, dedicated phone numbers, text automations, 24-7 support, and more. It's basically a business in the box. Go to software.landconquest.com to learn more. 
do my best to treat any person within our business, vendors, sellers, anyone with respect and like how I would want to be treated. So, I mean, I think that taught me a lot about people and life and to kind of think things in a, think of the bigger picture, I mm-hmm. think, rather than just whatever that little thing it is you're, you're working on. And I think so. it also helped you with a win-win if I could like look at it from outside of you, like. Well, those you, are the best deals, a win-win deal. Right. So. I mean, and you were working with the banks. You Your obligation was to the banks. It wasn't to these people. Right. But the only way that you, the bank's going to get what they need quickest and fastest is if the other people are getting a win too. Right. So it's kind of like that big negotiation. And when you're buying land, I mean, you're up front like, hey, you can list it on the market. You're, right. You could get more. You, right. You could get more. Right. All this stuff. But. I'm willing to give you this right here. Right. And if this, and then you find that, like that pain point, but that trigger point for them where trigger point that I don't like that, you know what they need. Mm-hmm. Like, why is someone wanting to sell you this land? Do right. they just not care about it? Some people don't care about sometimes, it, right? Sometimes. Yeah. It's like, I just inherited this and I don't care about it. And money right. sounds fun or I need the money right. or I need the money quick. Or I don't or, have the, I don't have the money to pay these property taxes every year and maintain mm-hmm. this property. Mm-hmm. It's just stressful. Mm-hmm. Like all these different things. So um, anyway, side note. Okay. So I'll, I'll get back on track now, but I just, it occurred to me right then that, and you did learn a lot about negotiating even more. All mm-hmm. of our businesses have been negotiating. Right. Yeah. That's like a big well, skill. All these businesses we've ever been in are all about, you know, people. People. So, yeah. Know, it comes down to people. Yeah. So. Okay. So um, you do bank owned and then you, you mentioned a BPO broker price opinion. You were like the king. We were the king and queen of BPOs for a while there. Like our kids even know about that. It's where you would, the bank is considering selling it short uh-huh. sale or or bank owned. Uh-huh. And before they, you would tell the bank, like, this is how much you should list it for. And they would probably order one or two other BPOs from other agents right. to say if that value is online. Right. So yeah, you were, so basically they're, they're not ordering full-blown, you know, appraisals, appraisals. which mm-hmm. were probably 500 bucks. They were ordering these. BPOs, which they were probably paying $75 to $150 or something like that. So I still remember. Yeah. I can interior, exterior, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So for, and that's how we broke into the REO listing businesses mm-hmm. because we took all these BPO, broker price opinion assignments, all these mini appraisal type things, and we just did. I, th- I don't know how many thousands we did. As many as we could. <laughs> but that was before the market completely crashed. Uh-huh. It was it was that weird. I mean, it had actually, it had crashed, but it was uh-huh. kind of stagnant. Like what's Yeah, no one knew what was happening. There wasn't a lot of mm-hmm. transactions happening. So it was kind of like, oh, this is kind of a good way to earn some money. And we need to earn some money right now. So Right. And then you got your name out to all the banks. Right. Because and they saw your name that, on You get the your broker. foot in the door doing that. Yeah, because so. they're like, well, he obvi- I keep seeing his name come through. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then you do that. Then you get into short sales too. Because mm-hmm. now people are like, I don't want to go. I don't want. Yeah, there was a shift. You know, mm-hmm. there was a shift that happened. Like most of these banks realized that it's like worst case scenario for them to take back this asset. It's much mm-hmm. better if they could do an actual what they call short sale, which is basically, say, for instance, someone owes 500000 on a property. And the current market value is two hundred fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. So basically, if the homeowner can document that there is a real hardship that they are not able to pay this mortgage anymore, or they're getting transferred for their job, or, you know, something like that. Like, which pretty they, much, as long as you, and you are a master at packaging it, mm-hmm, and right? They Everyone had to have a, they had know? to have a reason to do it. Mm-hmm. So, so then they would basically allow you to sell it for current market value regardless of what you owed on it. So that was a short sale. Right. So, and they never took, actually took possession of the property. 
Right. So. It was kind of like um, a traditional sale, mm-hmm. except for that instead of just the seller saying, okay, we'll do that. It was, you had to package it up. The bank had to approve of exactly. the offer and, right. and, and they were more than willing to do that. Okay. And then I, you know, I forgot one other thing I was, I wanted you to talk about was strategic defaults. Mm, yeah. That was, um, yeah. See, see when, what would happen is a spe- this happened a lot in a lot of these um, newer tract home communities. So there'd be these communities where all these homes are the same and it's very easy to determine what your home is worth based off of what your neighbor's house three doors down just sold for because yeah. it's the identical house. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this stuff would happen and you know, like, so they had bought a house for 500. It's now worth 250, and they'd be looking at that and saying, wait a second. I owe like a quarter of a million more than on this property than what it's actually worth. Yeah, it's like half the value. It's like, I'm never, it's never going to, rec- mm-hmm. you know, in their mind, That's the thing, it. it's never, never going to come back to that. And uh, so what they would do is they would do, you know, these strategic defaults where they, they would maybe line up some other sort of property to buy at the discounted rate. You know, this is happening a lot. They would, they would get under contract to buy the, uh, another property at this discounted rate and and buy it and then maybe as soon as that closed then they would default, default on their original one where they owed all this money on mm-hmm. so a lot of that stuff was happening it too. was just really shady yeah there was a lot of like crazy stuff happening at that time just a just a weird weird time period mm-hmm. so i mean you would see people would be like oh i'm a nanny but i make you know 2.5 million or, you <laughs> yeah. know what i mean it was like wow okay yeah. I, I don't understand that <laughs> okay so i think i've covered all of that um so you start doing short sales. Now, after the short sales, you got into helping investors, actually. Mm-hmm. That was the... Right. Yeah. I knew what they were looking for mm-hmm. since we flipped homes before. I also knew how to get them deals because I was an REO listing broker for a, for a long time. I knew what the banks were looking for, how to present and package offers, everything. So kind of the inside track there. So After 5 million BPOs, you knew values better yeah, than anybody I knew, in I knew, Southern California. I knew values very, very well. Uh-huh. So I basically I found you know some of the largest companies in the area and was focused on just finding them deals. So that was kind of my main business for a while. But mm-hmm. anyhow, and then the market recovered you know over over many years, mm-hmm. and it got back to the point where things you know almost present day where things. Uh, 2019, I guess. Yeah, we'll say. yeah, yeah. And then we had another um, business, pretty successful, um, where we were doing blogger training, travel blogger training, and. Heather was the face of that business. It still is. So yeah, we, we did that for many years, focused on that, and then kind of knew we needed to get back into real estate investing, or I had the itch at least to get really back into real estate investing. And that's how I kind of stumbled into land investing, land flipping. And I remember the exact moment we were walking on, um, what was that road? It's like in Newport Beach. Bay- Bayside. Bayside. And it like COVID had just kind of started and and it was like i think you should get back into it mm-hmm. but i didn't want to do flipping mm-hmm. yeah how, home flipping is um that's a that's a that's a hard business that's a hard business to really scale mm-hmm. you're dealing with contractors you're dealing it's with like renovation that. timelines you're dealing with you know cost of goods that are going up mm-hmm. like lots of different things a shortage of shortage of, yeah a lot of things you can't mm-hmm. control and uh as as easy as they make it look on tv it's not that easy do you remember what i wanted you to i can't remember i think i was like oh you should do well, we knew we it? wanted to accumulate in rental properties, okay. you know, so that's, that's always a thing that, mm-hmm. that we've been working on and we do right now as well. But the, um, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, like it just kind of made sense to me because the more I was reading about it, it's kind of like it, it really aligned with what I thought my skill sets were. Mm-hmm. So and that's how you sold it to me. 
Right. Because like, like, this is a perfect match well, for me, Well, it didn't Heather. make sense to me. I, I, that's not true. It's just land. Yeah. I'm like, I these like, people are talking about buying a property for 10000 and selling it for 30000 mm-hmm. I'm like, wouldn't that be cool? And Heather would be like, yeah, I mean, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I was like, yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Uh, sure. Um, but then you said, well, the the sticking points are you need to know values. Uh-huh. You need to be able to figure out locations. And the thing is that when you were doing REOs and BPOs and stuff, like you were doing them in like Riverside County and stuff. You weren't like the Iguanga expert. No. You weren't like a Hemet professional real no. estate agent. You weren't any, you weren't salt and sea Pete, you know what I right. mean? Like real estate agent from salt and sea, but yet you were able to, even without going up there, thank God only like one time or a few times, um, you were able to morph into an area expert cause you would throw yourself into it. Right. So you were like, I need to identify, I need to become an expert in that area to some degree. Right. You need to know to be able to value it, meaning, the buy and then the sell and the market conditions and all that kind of stuff. So when you told me about that stuff, I was like, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, because we're buying these properties, I mean, all over the country. Right. So you need to quickly be able to research an area, kind of really get a feel for what it's like, try to build some contacts on the ground. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of, And this was the height of COVID in 2020. So I was not going to be cool with you like flying all over the place. Right, right. Bringing back some unknown virus at the time. (laughs) So that I was like, so when you told me that, I was like, okay, I, I can totally see you knowing how to value from far away. Uh-huh. It was like all these things going through my brain. Right. And I I kind of had already been having that pull for probably about six months before that real, we needed to do real estate mm-hmm. again. Right. It's just you a know? matter of what, what model to choose. Yeah, so, that was exactly yeah. it. Yeah, so thankfully uh, it really worked out well and we've been really kind of focused only on land flipping and, and doing um, very well with that. So, I and I want to preface this. So the reason we went through all this is that I wanted you to be able to, you're positioned as an expert. I mean, you've been through multiple different cycles, right? And in your expert opinion, is the market crashing? No. No. Okay, no. No. I don't think it's crashing. I think it's softening, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's going to be struggling for quite some time. But in my personal opinion, which could be wrong, mm-hmm. it has happened one time before, Uh <laughs> It's one of my favorite jokes I always tell my kids. Uh, that and the day after they were born. Yeah. Not like she was born yesterday. I swear <laughs> that was your favorite joke for, well, three times now. That's Go right. On, yeah. That's right. When the kids were born, yes. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah, so I think, you know, and I think we we kind of explained what the market was like previous to the last crash. Mm-hmm. It's not like that right now. Right. It's, it's completely different, actually. In fact, a, a lot of people have really low payments and obviously interest rates have gone up on their homes. And um, so if someone came to you and was like, are, is the market crashing? Yes or no. Your answer would be absolutely no. I don't think it is. No, you don't think so. No, I think it's softening. I mm-hmm. think it's I think the market is going to be struggling, but I don't think we're going to have anything that resembles that that crash. OK, but do you think that we could be in for a negative real estate times? Oh, yes. OK. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that people who know know enough to say they don't know, right? Right, exactly. So it's like, and I and I hear you saying that at multiple times, like, no, I don't think, I don't think that it's going to happen like it happened before. Right. But you definitely think there's going to be volatility. Right, yeah. and the, Or maybe not. Like, in any that's market, exactly the it, stock though. market, the real estate uh-huh. market, any, you know, luxury watch market, I have any sort of market, there's always going to be ups and downs. And it's never like, it's never like straight up, mm-hmm. straight down. It's always like this, you know, like, and it may go up over time, but it's, it's, there's always going to be ups and downs and there's always going to be volatility. And, uh, yes, I expect some volatility. I, I think that things will probably trend down for a little while, but 
I think we have to, you know, I think there's too many people out there using the term crash mm-hmm. when in fact we might be in store for like a, depression a correction or yeah. a, you know, uh, recession, mm-hmm. a recessionary, not a yeah, recession. a recessionary type yeah. type situation instead of like an absolutely fall oh, off yeah, the Oh yeah, a cl- recession, not yeah. a depression. Yeah. Sorry, I'm like getting those bad Yeah, so it's recession, <laughs> then a depression's worse than that, worse than that and cr- probably the crash like- is the worst of all. So yeah. that event that we had from 2007 to 2009, I think was a very extraordinary time. And who knows, I get, you know, there's a lot smarter people than me that, that maybe think that that same thing is going to happen again. If it does happen again, it's going to be for different reasons because that lending environment and everything that was happening then is not what's happening now or is not what happened over the past couple of years. Well, there's safeguards in place now. But right. I think my takeaway from that is that if someone's telling you definitively one way or another, they're full of it. Right. Like right. if someone comes on there and they're like, this is absolutely not going to happen or it absolutely is going to happen. Well, there's too many variables. And and the yeah. other thing is you can't predict the future. Like in, in that case, there were some things that uh, some major events that which caused it to really, really crash, you mm-hmm. know. And, um, you know, obviously there could be some sort of major thing that happens like a terrorist attack or a war. Yeah, I mean, like there's all these things or that could happen that or- we, you just can't you don't know. So obviously those things could happen and have like a major impact on any sort of market. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if we're just the status quo and in the environment that we're in right now, I think we're maybe in for some tougher times in the real estate market, but I don't foresee a crash. Okay. So how would you protect yourself from um, any market right now? Right. Or how would you plan for any market right now? Well, or how I would, are we? you know, there's, there's a couple of different things. It really kind of depends on what you're, your model is investing. Mm-hmm. If you are just a longer term buy and hold, you know, a uh, collector of, of units and, and, and that type of thing. Collector I would, of units. I like well, that. Well, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, trying to accumulate as many rental properties as you can, many doors as you can, as they say. But, you know, I would be just looking at the cash flow and making sure that you can pay for it, you know, no, no matter what the value of the property does. And maybe account for like a, a greater, um, Vacancy rate. Thank you. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's why I keep you around to fill in the yeah, words. Fill in the blanks. Yeah. yeah. It's like the word. It's like the know? Mad Libs type situation. Exactly. So I would make sure you're comfortable with that. And, you know, if, if your cash flow is going to be good, then it really doesn't matter what's going to happen to the, the value of the asset behind it. Unless you're planning on selling it right. tomorrow. But right. like most people that are acquiring. If you've got a long term perspective. Yeah. Who cares? Right. You know. So and if you're, you know, if you're, say, a home flipper or something like that, I'd be, I'd be kind of cautious. I'd be buying it at at uh, more aggressive prices, I would hold out for the better deals instead of kind of pushing the values. I would for be, people are doing uh, like the burr. burr yeah, burr, burr, burr. Yeah, and exactly. like How the, many R's? Or, yeah. <laughs> a lot of R's. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it would be very conservative because values may may decline a little bit here. And you can't so. refine it. Like that whole strategy where you would buy it, flip it you know, uh-huh. quickly, and then refinance it out to keep a rental, the, the money is not necessarily there like it was before. And interest rates are so high that you're mortgage is going to be a lot harder. Exactly. Yes. And maybe, be a lot more selective on the deals. Uh-huh. I'm not saying those deals can definitely still happen. And it, it's just not yeah, as easy absolutely. as just not as easy as it would. You have to be more aggressive on your buy prices and maybe more selective. What about people who are doing like the Airbnb thing? They're buying up how like. I'd be a little cautious on that too. I mean, I would just make sure your numbers are very comfortable. You know, like if you're, I would make sure that you know, I don't know what thresh, that threshold is that you set, but I would try to make sure that like, hey, even if I'm at occupancy, Mm -hmm. I'm still going to be able to cash flow this thing. I think I would be even a little, well, I am more conservative than you, Mm -hmm. but I would make sure that it would still cash flow at a traditional. 
Yeah. And that's, that's really the way to look at it. Like mm-hmm. you should look at a property like that and thinking, Hey, I can, I, I think I'll do really well with an Airbnb, even in, mm-hmm. a, in this market. If that doesn't work out, what's your plan B? Like middle what's term. Your, yeah. And then long term. Exactly. And, and kind of just make sure it would make sense for you in all those different strategies. And if it doesn't, like if it only works barely by doing an Airbnb, I'd be really cautious about that. Yeah. If that's the so, only way. And land flipping in our business mm-hmm. We have very short-term holds. These are 60-day holds on average. And we're strategic in that. Right. Like, people could hold it longer and hold out for top dollar. Right. But it's just our, not part of our model. Right. So we're moving things fast. And if we sense that things are staying on the market longer, we're having problems reselling these properties, we're just going to be adjusting our buy prices on these things. We're going to be more aggressive on our buy prices because then we'll be able to list them at a che- cheaper price. And so... Uh, we'll just be more selective in our deals. But mm-hmm. one thing I can say from that whole time period, the REO listing burger things, like things were still selling back then. Right. You know, like people, I think, think that it was like nothing. Completely like locked no up. No one yeah. was doing anything. Right. And that's not true. The investors at all. were still buying the, the savvy ones, mm-hmm. still knew that these these were deals and that, and that was like a opportunity of a lifetime to pick up these assets at such, mm-hmm. such, a, such a cheap price. You know, I would. Like certain, I would list these properties. Do you have a great deal under contract? We'll submit it to partnerwithpete.com. The Partner with Pete program is a deal funding program where we will actually use our funds to complete the purchase of the property. We will do every other step of the process, including the due diligence, the transaction side, the marketing side, and the transaction on the resale side. And when all the dust settles, We will split the profits 50-50. There is no downside for you as an investor, only upside. So once again, go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and let's get it funded. The bank would say, okay, list list a property at 250. I listed at 250. I did 30 offers, 30 cash offers. Right. And that was and people couldn't compete with cash. Like voicemails like continuously all day on my phone. And I, you know, I had to spend all this time calling people back and saying, okay, well, we've got 30 offers. I mean, you're welcome to put in an offer, but it's got to be really aggressive. You know. So things were happening. There it was just the 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 values reset. And that's and the thing is that the purchase prices are what have always driven everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't matter about all the outside things. There are always people that are going to have cash. There's always going to have people that have a traditional job that can get financing. Yeah. um, Regardless of any of these things like there, that is always going to be a thing. Yeah. So as long as you can be good with your pricing. And that's one of the things like when we decided, um, you know, like when this, when the market kind of changed a little, we kind of have a, not a written, maybe we do have a written, but we talked about that. Like the, when we're doing what we're doing right now is not emotional. Like we have a, if this, then that. Mm-hmm. So like, like you just said, if it feels like they're going to be going, if they're staying on the market too long, it's not like you're going to sit and be like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, you're mm-hmm. not, you're like, okay, I need to buy cheaper and I'm going to be right. more aggressive with myself. And price. we reduce these properties until they sell. Then we didn't, mm-hmm. you know, like part of our strategy is we never take a loss. So we're buying these, pri- these properties at, at such good prices that in, in like at least every case so far, we've been able to reduce it like to a point where we may not make a lot of money, but we'll be able to sell it. Right. So. Exactly. So we don't lose money. And we have always made money. Mm-hmm, so right. that's, you know, and it's funny because you'll be kind of disappointed in a pro- oh, I only made X amount of it. And I was like, I've asked you a couple of times. I was like, so where else could I invest? Yeah. I'd be mad because I made 20% on a property exactly. in six months and be uh-huh. like, well, you know, I, <laughs> and I, I say to you, okay, well, where else could we have put that money and made 20%? Uh-huh, that's right. my question to you every single time. Right. I'm like, 
I know. Show me, show yes. me where the twenty percent could be. Right. You know, but you have a, a higher standard. But I think that 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 if this then that kind of situation is is important. Where mm-hmm. this is just a business. It's. Not emotional. And we learned a lot from working with all those investors. Right. You got, you got to be, you got to have your pulse on the market. And if things are changing, you got to adapt, you know, don't think that things are always going to be the way they were. Cause they're, that is one constant that things will always change. Right. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta kind of roll with it, you know? So. And then like the other thing that I think of is you can always paint the kitchen. Right. <laughs> I think that's weird because a lot of people will go into a kitchen and be like, I don't like this color. You know what I mean? Like a lot yeah. of buyers and it's like, well, that's like you can always do things to spiff things up or right. to change. like, you know, like don't instantly look at that. That's right. just a random little tidbit that has nothing to do with land investing. <laughs> yes. You can. I thought you were, I thought there was going to be like some saying that you came up I with, like so you can too. always paint the kitchen and then and like, do like that could like, be a quote, like on Instagram. It'd be like Heather, you can, and it'll you can say like, paint you can always kitchen. paint the kitchen. And then <laughs> Inspirational storyteller. It's a lovely life. Yeah. No, but like, um, I, I do think of that often in other things, like people get turned off on something because of one stupid thing that is, right. makes no sense. Right. And showing people like buyers, like that would be a thing like, oh, I don't like the paint. Right. Yeah. I I'm like, oh, I hate this floor. Well, you I, can put in a new floor. And in fact, it would be like really gross carpet. And I'd be like, you're going to replace it. Yeah. I don't like this color. I'm like, but you're going to replace it, right? Like yeah. you're not going to use this. Oh, no, I would be replacing the floor as soon as I go yeah. in. I'm like, so it doesn't matter the color. Yeah. Um, but I think that that, I guess that was because it's unemotional. Like for right. the investors, they didn't care. No, it's just the numbers. They never once said, Pete, we're not buying this property that you brought us that was an amazing deal because it had pink right. walls. Yeah. They'd be like, thank In fact, you. They'd you know? love it. They'd be like, oh yes, that, that means I'm going to get a good deal. Yes. Yes. Because everyone <laughs> else is like, it's, it's pink. I can't do yeah. this. I think that's interesting. Um, so we talked about how, how we've, you know, whatever the volatility in the market, how we protect ourselves there. Do you think that deals will be better or worse if it softens more in land? Like, do you think that the, that how do you see of a softer market affecting land? Yeah. Well, first of all, the land is, there is a, a little correlation between the housing market, you know, single family housing market and land. Mm-hmm. It's not a, like a one-to-one, like specific relationship because most of the land deals that we do and most of the buyers for our properties are actually cash mm-hmm. in some way. Like, you know, some, some of them get like maybe a, a refi on the home or something like that in order to, to get that cash to buy it. And there are some land loans out there as well, but actually the majority of the stuff is cash buyers. So they're not as tied to interest rates as a home buyer would be. The other thing to keep in mind is land has not, in many of these areas, has not shot up as quickly as the housing prices have because there's not there's no leverage involved. In buy, like, it's hard to get a loan to buy land. So a lot of these areas really quickly shot up because it's all about they can get the loan to buy the house as long as the values are the values there. Like, that's no problem. So there's no leverage in the land side. So it didn't go up as high. And my theory is, and the data says that it's not going to come down as much as the housing market will. So it's not as volatile. Right. Okay. So it's not as volatile. So there's not as much up and down. Right. And I think that people that are buying land, at least from what we've seen, it's like a longer term thing. Right. They're not buying it to like move into their house. You know what I mean? Like it's not, right. it's not to provide them a shelter right the second. Exactly. Or it's like a house. Like, so it's not that same kind of impulse. A lot of these people, you know, is bought up by neighbors. It's maybe buying uh, someone that's been driving past this, piece of land for, you know, since they were a kid and they always thought like, if that ever comes on the market, I'm going to buy it. Yeah, you know, I think it's a lot of those type of situations. So it's, it's really less about like market conditions and the fluctuations in the market. It's more about like 
when a good piece of property comes on the market, there are buyers for right. it. And I think that they're not that um, like first time property buyer. Right. Like, they're these not. These are people yeah. that have money. So they might not be like the, um, you know, highest income, whatever, or maybe they are, mm-hmm. but it's not the the people that are struggling to find a house for their family. Right. So, you know, the other thing before I forget on this is that, you know, we're going through a, an inflationary time right now. Like the, the, um, you know, prices seem to be going up. Asset prices are going up as well, which land is one of the ultimate assets that you can buy. Like it's, it's a physical thing that you can buy and it's just there and it's not changing. So that land is in an inflationary environment will continue to increase in value. You know, it's regardless a of regardless of what happens with the fluctuations in the market, like uh, inflationary pressures should raise the value of the land over time. Right. And so, so it's kind of like a safeguard. Like you could put it in Bitcoin and it could be like this stock market mm-hmm. like this, but you have this land at the end of the day. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people do it. Like we we're saying before, they're planning ahead. They're mm-hmm. going to do this. Now, a lot of the sellers, on the other hand, might have inherited the land or they've right. had it forever. And I think if the market softens, it will affect other, you know, as we said, it's like kind of a step down uh, effect or a. Yeah. And effect. some people, you know, if the economy in general starts to struggle, then they'll have to liquidate assets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of times that could be something that they may look to move on from in order to get funds for something else that they need. Right. So. And if they're not attached to this piece of land. Right. It's going to be a very simple thing. Like, I want to sell the land. Right. That's a good deal. Give yeah, me my and, offer. And then more people struggle financially, then they're probably not going to be very interested in paying those property taxes or you know, paying for the maintenance on that property or whatever the case may be. Right. So. And then the other side, the buyer might not be as affected as the people that need to sell. They can yeah. hold out. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention too, back then when the market kind of did crash, rentals became, a lot of people couldn't get right back in to buy a house. Right. And rentals became more valuable. Right. You know, there was even a bigger crunch for that. And then there was more creative financing. There was lease options. We actually did that right. on one of our properties. So yeah. They ended up leaving. Right. Um, yeah. So we 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 were planning to sell it, but we couldn't really sell it for what we owed on at the time. <laughs> so we were like, well, let's just do a lease option with someone. We'll present this out there. And uh, we found someone that was interested in doing it. They stayed for about a year. And then they were like, we were like, well, it was they, funny. We wanted to move we back in. We moved back into the house. So, so it ended up working out okay. Yeah. So, thankfully, so, we still own the house t- today. We didn't mm-hmm. sell it, thankfully. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, and if you're looking like, that's the one thing I look back, I wish we had never sold anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, land we, is different. <laughs> I know. I was saying that one as we're selling, like, we've sold about 100 properties over right. the past year and a half. Uh-huh. So, wish uh, I'd never sold anything. Um, yeah. But the actual ones with buildings on it. And actually, right. there's some pieces of land I wish we still yeah, owned. Yeah, there's, there's some I wish we still owned as well. But, but we can't. Know. Can't get emotional about these because yes. they are, you know, I think that's interesting. And I I think that the big takeaway from today's episode is that if someone's telling you a definitive, they're full of it. Yes. Too many variables. They don't really know. No. Even, even they may sound very convincing to you. Mm-hmm. They can have their opinion and they may have a very educated opinion, but definitively, they don't know. No, because you can't tell the future. Right. And as we've seen over the past 20 years, there's events that we never anticipated, September 11th. All these different things. We never thought that would happen. Right. And I'm sure there's people out there that knew it was going to happen. or thought, right. But as regular people, we did not think that could happen, mm-hmm. right? Right. So who knows what the future can hold? So do we think something catastrophic like a crash is coming? No. No. Could it? Yes. yes. Hopefully it doesn't. Right. Do not pray for that crash right. just so you can buy a cheap It's not what you think it's going to no. be. If you're a real estate investor, it's really not. No, so. it's, it's not. Uh, you don't want to pray for something like that. 
And when you're getting into any start of real any sort of real estate, you should be making a plan for any type of market right. for that piece of even the land. And we talk about that too. Like we would love to put solar panels on some of the pieces of land, right? right. We would love to do climate stuff. We we could do tiny houses. We could put you know, we might become bigger developers if something like that happened and mm-hmm. we were holding land. Right. But then also, as you point out to me in that discussion, you bought it, you know, we purchased them at a price that they should sell for at least for what we paid regardless. Right. Yeah. And the interesting thing is once you start getting things built up in this business, I know everyone starts at a different spot, but you build up a portfolio of properties that you actually own free and clear. Right. You know, and so it's not like we have a mortgage payment to any of these you know, to own any of these these land holdings that we have. So it gives you a little bit more flexibility to, if you have to hold a property. It's not the end of the world. Right. So, so we would just be doing taxes, which even then it takes forever to actually. Right. So so I guess that's a good wrap up. We covered a lot of different things today mm-hmm. and it went in some different directions than I thought it would. But that's all good stuff, though. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that we've learned over past couple decades that it's right. like, I would love to share everything, but that would be like a 5,000 hour <laughs> podcast and that would be a little weird. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like if you guys want to, you know, in the comments, what, what do you want to hear more about? Yeah. Yeah. Pete let us know. I would yeah. love to talk about REOs. And- I'll talk about anything. Right. So. A little, little more therapy. And actually, <laughs> is this therapeutic for you? Oh, it's okay. I don't think about it too much unless you ask me about it. So. <laughs> put you on the spot. Um, yeah, I'm happy to, to ask him a million questions on that. Short sales, REOs, BPOs, yeah, um, all that kind of stuff, land. Yeah. Hey, if you're interested, while you're talking about land, if you're interested in land or the land flipping model sounds interesting to you at all, definitely check out our website, turningprofit.com. Each month I post a monthly income report on there, which lays out exactly how our business did that month. The revenue we took in, the gross profit for that month, all of the properties that we resold that month, like what we bought that property for, what we sold it for, how much profit we made, how many days we held it for, notes on each of those properties, try to do my best to kind of explain, you know, what the situation was with that deal. But it gives you a good idea, I think, of what is possible in the business. And if you think it could maybe align with your skill set. We just all also just launched a private community, free private community, where I'll be launching a free course in there. It's a premium mm-hmm. free course. So. Right. And that that's the other thing, too, um, with this court. First, okay, it makes me uncomfortable that you do the income reports. And oh, I've said that okay. a million times before, just because, like, you lay out every – it's like financial stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so important for people to be able to see – and when you say notes, you like write like your thoughts out your head on right. this transaction. And I do videos about these too. Right, exactly. So I think that that's really important because if someone's thinking if they're if this is the right avenue for them to do real estate, they can kind of get in your brain and be like, you know, how did this whole thing work? Right. So it makes me uncomfortable because talking about money up front, but I think it's super, super important. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It just feels weird. Okay. Um, and then your community um, is already like really having- It's like, hopping already. Yes. Yeah, it's actually just really started. fun. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I'm super excited for the new course because it's not going to be like, we don't do anything half-ass. I just made fun of you for saying crap, I think. Mm-hmm. And here I am saying ass, but right. anyways, um, we don't do anything half-ass, especially you, me sometimes, but I'm just <laughs> kidding. Don't. I'm teasing. But this is going to be something that, like, when you started, it took you from nothing to now. Right, exactly. You know I mean? this and, is our, I'm laying everything out. And mm-hmm. honestly, I, I'm not selling. We've we've come from the, you know, we know how to uh, run an online education business, how to sell courses and all that kind of stuff. We're not selling. Profitable. We're not going yeah. to sell a course at all. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not our plan. We will uh, eventually probably offer... Um, 
maybe a higher end mentorship program with some other tools to to help you really succeed in this business. But the idea with this free course is to you lay it all it, out there yeah. and show you exactly what we do. Uh, you may be uh, interested in some more help or, or assistance, you know, ultimately. And that's kind of the idea, like maybe down the road, we could have a program like that launch, but no, not anywhere close to that right now. So, right. And the thing is that we know we've also learned that time is limiting, right? Like, and you're still actively doing this because it's fun for you. You like doing it's the land business. Yeah. And I know I'll find people to partner with on deals. And I know that there's mm-hmm. a lot of other things that are going to come forward with, with just doing that. So, uh, you know, I'm not worried about making money off of that the right. course itself. It's so. funny that we had that actual on a walk. We mm-hmm. all of our ideas are on walks, right? Um, but we were like, let's do it. Let's do this one just completely free and have it be an actual premium course, right? So I'm super excited about that. I won't be writing it, so I can be super excited about it. But I'll do some editing, maybe. Okay. Some all right. Creative um, critiques. It's going to be videos. So, oh, good. Then I won't yeah. be doing any editing. Yeah. That's not my forte. So you can do video editing I'll if you want. I'll be in the want. background going, no, I don't think you want me doing that. But um, I think it's going to be really, well, I don't think I know it'll be really good. I won't see you for a couple well, of months. it'll be exactly what we- You'll be working it'll on be it. It'll be exactly how I run my business and exactly exactly what we do to, to make the, the everything work. So I'm going to lay it all out there so you don't have to follow it. or You could do put your own spin on things, I guess, if you wanted to. Exactly but. what day and time will it be available? Wow. I'm just kidding. I'm just messing with you. Okay. Well, I was telling people March 1st, so I'm oh, hoping really? I can have it done by then. I really of, won't see people for at least it. a month. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I would look forward to that. Um, but until that's available, the income reports, which is it pains me to say it, are the place to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So check those out. And then in there, they've got links to the private community that we've just started. So definitely go over there and check Our that out. Our mother's maiden name and blood type in there too? Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. Well, I think that is a good place to stop. And where can they find everything? Oh, obviously, um, wherever you're listening to this podcast or watching it, um, we've got, we're on YouTube and we're really trying to do a lot, release a lot of cool videos on there. Uh, all your favorite podcast platforms for this show and a weekly, every Tuesday we release a new one, turningprofit.com. And uh, then you can find us on Instagram as well, turning underscore profit. Someone took turning profit. Right. You know, yeah. And then the same thing on TikTok, turning underscore profit. So okay, cool. Those are all brand new accounts that we launched in the beginning of January. It's actually getting some momentum already. So we release a lot of little video clips and things on there. So I think you'll get some value from that. Anyhow, I guess that's about all the promotion we can do right now. But <laughs> thank you very much for no, watching. You forgot to say like, like, subscribe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, know. I could say all that stuff that everyone always says. Will you do it? I don't know. Maybe if you really feel like you're helping us, that would be great. But. <laughs> No pressure. Subscribe to the channel. That would be a good thing. A lot of cool, we'll release, yeah, we'll, we'll release a lot of cool videos, not just the weekly podcast on there. So, Well, it's time for me to go refill my coffee. Yeah, yeah. I didn't drink any of mine. No. Oh, well. well, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. And if you're ready to start turning profit yourself, visit our website at turningprofit.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word by sharing it with a friend. See you on the next episode.